Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful, but we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org slash lost. Welcome, everyone, to a special bonus edition of the Highly Relevant Podcast, where I'm going to dedicate the entirety of the show to Avengers Endgame, and we're calling it After the Endgame. Filming culture critic Mike Sargent joins me to go through the most pressing questions you might have after you saw the film. We got a lot of people uh, emailing me, you know, tweeting me, uh, letting me know why we didn't put out an Avengers um, non-spoiler or spoiler-free review last week? Well, because we were waiting for this one. I actually happen to think that it's more relevant to talk about what happens after you see that film than setting you up to watch the film this week or whatever. If you didn't catch it beforehand, uh, don't listen to this podcast, please, because the very purpose of this episode is not to prepare you to see the film. We already did that on Instagram Live last Tuesday. Mike and I came out of the press screenings, it was the first screenings, um, and we talked about this for about 30 minutes, uh, setting you up for that. That's not what we wanna do here. We wanna discuss the subsequent questions and future of the franchise and your place in it. All right, Mike, how are you, man? I'm okay. All right, so you left the theater after watching Avengers Endgame, and the world seems different. You just became aware you have spent 11 years watching Marvel films, and now it's permanently permanently intertwined in your life. Kind of like the way Star Wars was for uh, Gen Xers. Now what? We have three breakdowns here. We're going to do an overview of the impact, the cultural impact, and uh, the uh, current impact that Avengers Endgame is having. We're also going to do questions on the future. Like now what happens? Where does Marvel go from here? And then we're going to answer or at least try and answer a lot of these spoiler questions that many have, like Loki, Black Widow, Anthony Mackie, et cetera, et cetera. So let's begin with an overview, Mike. I ask you the first question, $1.2 billion globally this weekend. Uh, why do you think Avengers Endgame had the cultural impact that none of the movies before it had? Well, I, I don't think it's, there's, you know, there isn't a simple answer. I think it's a series of answers. I think that, first of all, um, this is significant, and, and just to contextualize it for me, it's a significant uh, shift 
in in what we're able to do you know technology has allowed us at this point anything that anybody can think of can be committed to film so that's one so the technology in in the tools for storytelling have evolved so we can tell different kinds of stories that we never could two uh, i think the the huge ambition of this uh that's so unique is the idea of having 21 22 different films multiple different characters five or six different specific characters just like the comic books were that are all interconnected so an interconnected universe means that you may like one thing you might not like that one so much but you're aware of of all of these aspects of the universe As a matter of fact you're more aware of the marvel universe sometimes i think than than reality you know <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> right. So I, I think that that's thing. And, and I think that's important because that's skin in the game. You know, everybody came into this movie having some feeling of, of how they feel about who's their favorite character, what their favorite film is from that character, what they're, they're, whether they liked Infinity War, didn't like, or they're disappointed in this film, that film. Everybody had skin in the game and you cared about these characters. You, this is a level of investment that has mm-hmm. that has previously never been seen before, be, no matter what the franchise. That's my opinion. Three hundred and fifty million dollars, when two hundred and fifty-seven million for Infinity War was the record. We're talking about obliterating the box office with almost a hundred million extra dollars that the box office could not withstand before. It just didn't have the capacity of expansion. And if you thought that the expansion could be, I don't know, maybe 10, 20 million, but 100 million almost, Mike? What does that say about audience's taste about this particular film? And it's it just really seems like the whole world went to see this. Well, you know, the thing is that the whole world did go to see this. And and that 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 you bring up some interesting thing, you know, it's not just that it made 350 million here, you know, and it made like 800, $859 million and so a global of 1.2 billion, all that, but it broke like eight number one records. It was the biggest Thursday, the biggest single day Friday, biggest Saturday, biggest Sunday, biggest China. It it fastest film to one billion global. It it broke all these records. But but like you said, it's because everybody, you know, you and I went back and forth like, should this be spoiler free? Should it be spoiler laden? And you were like, well, you know, 1.2 billion a lot of people saw this movie. So what does this ultimately say about the audience's taste? for this particular film why did they go out in record numbers to see this film what is it about the avengers endgame that it possessed that no other movie in the history outside of maybe avatar has well i I, again i think it's a couple factors i think okay one you got this level of investment two you've had 10 years to build to this so it's not like this movie just came out like avatar did out of the blue you don't know any of these characters and you know avatar is still an amazing thing because it wasn't based on anything this you you've got characters that have been long established they're part of culture you know so everybody even if you never read a spider-man comic book or saw a spider-man movie you still know who he is so uh, all of that being said so there's a level of awareness that's never been for for anything before but then on the top of it the last film was a complete cliffhanger okay right and and the idea it really like you said it hasn't been since like star wars and empire strikes back where there was such a cliffhanger like okay 
Han Solo's frozen. What's going to happen? You got to wait <laughs> three years, you know? So right. uh, I, I think that that's, that's, it is a phenomena. I think that that's, we're that's witnessing. That's the only way it, to describe it. It is. A phenomenon. It definitely is. Whether you like the movie or not, this is history. This is historical in storytelling. Right. And I think that one of the beautiful things about a movie like this is about uh, the communal experience, something that Netflix is trying to disrupt. Absolutely. And it's incredible that there's still these Absolutely. sort of like, you know, established, iconic event institutions like the Super Bowl, where everybody gets together to watch it, or Game of Thrones, where everybody's getting together to watch it, Avengers Endgame, everybody's getting together to watch it. And honestly, I think in a world where we're so focused on individualism, at least I know here in New York City, uh, where I live, uh, this is a city that is really about the individual, the single entity, uh, and how everyone else can help your agenda. That's kind of like the world we live in. Um, and and it sucks because humans were made to be in a pack. We're made to be in, in a tribe, um, share their sad moments, share their anger, share their happy moments. Um, and I think Avengers Endgame touches on a primal instinct of all of us to be together in a like-minded place where you can see uh, transgender, gay, black, Asian, Indian, Latino, young, old, female, male in one single room. What things can bring people together like that? And I think that that's the praise that I have for these types of movies, that it's not just a film. It's something deeper, much more profound. It's a much more human, intimate experience that I feel that I went through this because Star Wars also does the same exact thing, but this one really felt like a high fever pitch. Well, you know, I have to say, I agree with everything you said a thousand percent. And, and I'll add to it to say that, <clears throat> you know, there's a famous uh, screenplay, uh, uh, screenwriting guru named Sid Fields, and he says that he he compares movie going to conscious dreaming, like we're all having the same mm. same dream at the same time. And and I think you know you know the term event filmmaking. This is an event film, but but you know let's look at what event means. You know, uh, if you go to wrestling or, or or mixed martial arts, you know it's an event. It, you could watch it on TV, and and we do live in a society like you said that encourages us to kind of you know be face in the phone, hunched down, headphones on, block out the world. You know, we do live in a, that like that individualistic, like you live in your bubble, I'll live in mine. But at the same time, you know, I know you and I both have lamented being a film critic in some ways, we don't get that same communal experience that no. you, we don't get to see the movie with the intended audience. And every now and then I do. And, and I have to say, I remember <laughs> it's it, and it's fantastic. How much fun it, it is! It's right? fantastic. It's it's part of. If you look back at when you fell in love with a movie, it, it was an emotional experience, and you said something very important there. You know, and one thing I think the Russo brothers understand, and when you see Endgame with an audience, and if you've already seen it, and we're talking about it. Everybody laughed at the same. Everybody gasped at certain things. It's like when when yep. Captain America has his rocky moment, the audience cheered, and and you feel that. And and that's part of the excitement. Sure, you could clap at home <laughs> in your living room <laughs> but with, the, with not, the curtains. But there's closed. nothing. There's nothing like looking around, seeing a crowd of strangers having the same reaction you do to something. Oh, dude, it's almost like going to church, <laughs> where you kind of get Absolutely. into a Absolutely. place where you're with a bunch of sitting down next to a bunch of strangers, and the priest says, 
shake the hand of your fellow friend. And without even knowing them, you shake them or you hug them because you're doing something that is higher than you right. you're, at conne- that moment. you're connecting i agree with you and you're you're connecting and i feel that th- that happened to me at star wars i think i hugged somebody i didn't even know right. that was in a lie right. because i was so pumped up right exactly and and that that shared experience i like you said i think is part of the appeal because uh, again here's the other side of it the other side of it is fandom has has become another thing you know you know they'll always you always read the interviews oh it's the fans the fans the fans well it is a fan so and if we are the fans it's like they're creating the content for us to consume because we are rapidly consuming conventions when i was a kid comic book conventions are like the weirdos go okay <laughs> right now comic, the, freaks. the freaks now right. You know, getting dressed up is it has a name. It's called cosplay. It's Play. and and people, you know, want to take a pictures with somebody who spent all that time to do it. Now, what that's a certain level of engagement. Well, it's also uh for the for, for the other fan, yep. it's seeing your character and, in real life right next to you. And you're seeing somebody who's as ape shit over the shit as you are. <laughs> And you're connecting. You're connecting. It's like if, Absolutely. if your favorite character is whoever and you see somebody dressed up as whoever, you're like, oh, Black Panther, Wolverine, come over here. So I think that the main headline coming out of this $1.2 billion global weekend at the box office for Avengers Endgame is, can it beat Avatar? Avatar, so for, for those of you that might not know, uh, is the number one highest grossing film in the history of cinema in the last 120 years or so. And what we're looking at here is that it made 2.7 billion. And there's a possibility that in the second week for Avengers Endgame, it could reach the incredible $2. billion mark. But I think one of the questions you and I had talked to off mic, Mike, was that um, can Avengers, what will the dip be for Avengers in its second weekend? Let's just hypothetically say it's 60%. So from 350, it could go all the way down to 150 million dollars off to 200 million dollars. Second week for 200 million is incredible, and that's not including openings in different markets that haven't opened just yet. I heard that Russia just opened um, a few days ago or something like that. We're really talking about that there is a possibility that this movie can be the highest grossing. Do you think it'll be in second place, or? Has Avatar met its match? Um, I think Avatar's met its match, but not so much. And and take nothing away from Avatar. You know, 10 years ago, whatever it was when Avatar came out, there were X amount of screens and X amount of markets. The market has matured. There are a lot more screens out there now. There are a lot more movie theaters. And, 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 and areas that were just developing have completely developed. And the technology has changed. Digital projection makes things very different in terms of the cost uh, uh, not the initial investment, but getting a movie. There's this, you know, it used to be prints and advertising used to be part of the budget for a film. You can get rid of the print part because everything can just be transferred electronically somewhere. So there's a huge amount of money that now can be saved and spent on marketing. So a movie like this, you know, success begets success. It's already breaking right. records. So it's got, it's got momentum now. And now forget all the people we were talking about the main hardcore people, all those people are going to go see this again. Because for me now, if I go see this movie again, 
I'm going to see it not only for myself, but also to feel the audience enjoying it too. Mm, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that, and watch them get surprised like I got surprised. <laughs> and also to kind of like just connect deeper dots yes. that you missed and that through discussion you're now aware of. So you're going back to see, well, this was the secret behind Titanic. I remember going to Titanic and I had asked, uh, there were a bunch of girls that were screaming at Leo DiCaprio and I was like, why are you screaming? He's like, I can't get enough out of him. This is my third time watching him. Exactly, exactly. And that was that repeat business that made Titanic and Avatar and now Endgame. All of them, all of them. That that level, listen, people, like I had a friend, like when the first Star Wars movie came out, the new ones, I saw it as a critic, but I bought tickets Okay, I'm 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 gonna revealing my true level of geekness here. I bought <laughs> tickets to see it like that whole weekend. I saw it like twice that day, uh, and then like the following Saturday morning, you know, with various friends at different theaters around the city. Okay, and I don't do that anymore now. I'm mature now. <laughs> and, but but I know people who do. I know people who did that for Avengers, who 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 bought tickets to see it two or three times in the same weekend with different sets of friends. So that right. that happens. And and why not? Like, yeah, you can't go Friday. Well, I'm going Friday, but I'll see what you on Saturday. You know, speaking of the impact and and friendships, you know, a lot of friendships have been severed because of this particular film. Uh, Interestingly, though, there was a tweet that was sent out by young actor, child actor, Jacob Tremblay, uh, that I retweeted where he said that a lot of kids, and this is part of the impact, the negative impact of the film and why people are so sensitive to this particular film. Because, I mean, not for nothing, I think if you spoil The Curse of La Llorona... (laughs) for people i think people would really not care uh but if you are spoiling endgame uh which is what seems to be happening in schools across the country where young kids are going to their junior high or elementary school or whatever it may be uh even high school and they're going in shouting in the hallways who died in the film really kind of killing the expectations that you've been holding for 10 some odd years to see who will die and who won't. Um, and he said that parents should kind of like, that's, it's, he said that parents should really look at this because it's a form of bullying. And I thought that was really interesting. And I retweeted it by saying, you know, Jacob Tremblay for president. And there was that one man who died, I think it was in China, because he was also well, doing no, the same he, thing. He didn't die, but they beat the crap out of him. And I say, <laughs> I say, bravo, bravo, beat that sucker, bravo. So obviously, this hits a a, a nerve when you talk about spoilers before the movie even uh, screened. And that that really is the power. All right, moving on. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, But I do want to say, you know, you say, uh, just to comment on that, to say, unfortunately, no matter what it is, there's human nature that, you know, they call it bullying. It always has been. There's always that kid who, who revels in telling you there's no Santa Claus. Right who wants to spoil your fun, and that's how they get fun, and that's sadistic. God, it seems like a thousand years ago, I fought my way out of that cave, became Iron Man. Let's talk about the career of Robert Downey Jr. Uh, for those of you that have already seen it, obviously, if you're, I already said this, we're gonna do, we're talk spoilers because it's important to the overall discussion of what we're having in this particular podcast. Robert Downey Jr., the actor who does Tony Stark, dies in the film. And this was a this was a singular moment, man, because there was allusions to it in Infinity War 
uh, and he always seemed to kind of save himself. I really thought he died in Infinity War, and I thought it was a great fight with Thanos. I thought that that, I mean, dying at the hand of Thanos, probably the most powerful being in the universe, um, it, it, it's, it's not a bad way to go. But in this particular case, he did, and then it really makes you think, can anyone ever replace Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man? Well, you know, here's the thing. <clears throat> or is Iron Man dead as a character moving forward in this universe? Well, he, he's dead as as uh, Robert, Tony, Stark. Tony Stark playing him. Yeah, there will be other Iron Mans, and there were other Iron Mans in the comics. And I mean, that's the thing about all the comics. You know, they're really kind of following what was done in the comics. And if, if you stop now, if we stop and we look at these last 22 films, it's, let's say, like early issues of Captain America and early issues of Iron Man and early issues of, of our favorite heroes, like those issues will always be there. You can reread them, you know, but as time goes on, they have to create new mythos, a new Thor, a, a new Captain America, a new. So I think, you know, all these actors are going to age out anyway. And if you build it into, as opposed to, okay, Roger Moore got too old, we got to replace him with Pierce Brosnan. Okay, he got too old, we got to replace him. Okay, now, uh, you know, as opposed to, you know, rebooting these franchises when an actor ages out to, to plan it for these actors' careers and, and the reality of the universe to parallel, you know, like 10 years have gone by in the lives of these characters too, I think, I think that that's... That makes much. That makes more sense. It's but Mike, don't you think? Like I feel, and this is just my personal opinion. I feel like I'm not ready to let go of these core characters yet. Listen, I I, I agree with you, but I think that this is it's like Seinfeld. You know, he could have gone for a tenth season, but he 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 went out while he's on top, and that's the best way to go. Okay, all right. Leave leave um, him wanting more. Do you think that? Because of these particular deaths that almost feel like personal deaths, like friends have died. Yes. Do you, do you think that we've reached the apex of the superhero film genre? Or you think there's a lot left to go? Like, I just don't see how any other superhero film can beat 1.2 billion worldwide at the box office. Well, I'm, I'm going to respond to that uh, in, a, in a partially devil, in a devil's advocate way. Okay, if, if you had asked, I mean, okay... When Star Trek, The Next Generation came out, people were up in arms. How can you make a new Star Trek? There's no way it could be as good as the original. You know, six series later, you know, now they're rebooting it and going back and having other actors. Nobody can play these characters. Other people have played them. You know, Star Wars, the, the new ones are going to come out. They're terrible. Everybody who saw the originals hated them. They made more money than the originals did. You know, I so I think I think what happens is, our generation, the generation that grew up, the generation that this is the most important to, these actors and their heroes are the most important to, you know, because I know we're going to talk about the future, but I think this means this much to us. And at this time, this is it. But mm. down the line, there'll be more. Interesting you say that, because now that I'm thinking about it, I might actually agree with you. Uh. Um when when Iron Man came out, I always thought Iron Man was a B character he was. in the Marvel he was. comics. He was totally a B character. Yeah, and I never really saw him as bigger than Spider-Man or anything like that. And, I, you know, kudos, and this is where Robert Downey Jr. gets a lot of props. He took a B character, made him into an A-list star. Um, and now you're somebody that you kind of didn't really care about in terms of a character. Now you, it hurts to see him go and to kind of see other people like, you know, no, 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 
no issues and no beef against Don Cheeto, but he's no Robert Downey Jr., my man. And Gwyneth Paltrow shows up in a, as a female Iron Man towards the last uh, portions of Avengers Endgame. And even though I thought that was cool, I, I actually thought that a female Iron Man was actually cooler than the Don Cheadle uh, Iron Man, where I felt that he didn't really bring much to it. I always felt he was like a sidekick. Like, he was never truly used properly. It was almost like... I, I don't know, man. I just felt like Don Cheadle's Iron Man was really irrelevant to me. I felt like Gwyneth Paltrow's Iron Man or Iron Woman had much more impact in her moment as Iron Woman. Well, maybe that says a lot about you, Jack, in terms of... <laughs> well, what I, what I, well, I think what I'm trying to say here is that maybe, and, then, and now this is kind of where we probably uh, segue into the questions about the future of the superhero genre and of the Avengers franchise, let's talk about casting for a second. Can we see, and is the future in all female Avengers? And the reason I say that is because, Mike, you and I were in the same theater watching, oh no, we weren't, but we saw it on the same day where you saw there was a moment towards the end where the Russo brothers uh, assembled most of the female superheroes in one scene and that was already a hint of what we could see in the future are we headed towards that well all right first of all i think absolutely and let, and let me just backtrack to just to make a quick comment on you said rob downey jr it wasn't just rob downey jr you know and iron man you know if you get historical there Iron Man was one of the few characters they had not licensed out already. So, you know, they kind of, you know, they kind of got, it was like a lucky accident. So, but, but, uh, so Marvel had to kind of use what they hadn't licensed to all the other places. But, you know, it, John Favreau really had a vision for this and he really fought for Robert Downey Jr. Cause I don't think they really wanted him. So, no, no. So I think, I think it was the combination, you know, kind of things converge, you know, how, how do you get like capture lightning in a bottle? And I think lightning in a bottle, you know, pardon you know the pun here for all of that but that was really what happened with iron man uh uh but that being said i i think yes i think that you know the one thing you you start to see after 22 films the movies that made the most money were black panther and captain marvel you know it, you know with the exception of the avengers movies where everybody's in there and and the Avengers movies. Well, we also yeah. Let's talk about Wonder Woman. You know. Well, that that's uh, my point. I was just going to get that. I was going to say what that says is okay. We've done the whole white male uh, protagonist. We've done it. It's been done. It's been done to death. It's been done for decades and decades and decades. And now that you've given people a taste of something other than hamburger. Uh, they they might say, wow, I want some more of that pork. I, I thought pork was bad for you, you know? And it's like, so people are more open to saying, and then if they have that pork, you're like, oh, wow, okay, oh, pernil? Oh, you could do this, you know, you could do all these different things that you never knew. So I think the, the, the world, okay, that's the significant part about global box office. It's not right. just American tastes that matter. It's it's the taste of the world. Is the world ready to see a diverse set? Of course they are, because the world is diverse. The world wants to see itself and the beauty, the the one of the greatest joys of any movie. And and you talk about connection. What are you really connecting on as, as, when you love superhero or science fiction or fantasy movies? It's like okay, whatever your reality is, we both prefer this reality. 
So mm-hmm. this, this is a reality we all enjoy. We have that in common, and that that's a that's a, a meeting of the minds, and it's a meeting of the hearts. It's a meeting of the spirit. It's it's all those communal things. But then, again, the diversity. Like uh, I can't tell you how many white guys I have met who are big comic fans, who are big movie fans, big Marvel fans, and I say, so what are your what do you think of the best? Mar- What's the best Marvel movie? They say Black Panther. Now, it's not because they're in love with black people, but because Black Panther did some things, said some things, had more to say than any other Marvel movie, period, hands down. It, Absolutely. It, it, hands down. And and whether you love the movie or not, it still is more socially relevant than any of those films just because of the concepts it suggests. And it's only the tip of the iceberg. So, no, it's absolutely right. And I think it's also evident in the box office numbers. Ab- I mean, look, absolutely. at the end of the day, Black Panther, Wonder Woman was seen by the dominant culture more than it was by the minorities. Right. And it disproved the idea that that people, you know, if, if you felt that white people dominate the planet, let's say, if you thought there were more white people on the planet than anything, and it's not true, but... If they may be dominating the the, the who what is being made and and the distribution of all of that, but now there's just as much money or more can be made with diversity, and that's absolutely the future. Let me throw a couple of numbers at you. Well, Black Panther um, did about one point two billion at the box office overall. Captain Marvel did one point one billion. It kind of I feel like it just kind of came out. Um, and then Wonder Woman did about 821 million at the box office, you know, globally. So we're talking about numbers that are in the periphery of a billion dollars that white people went to go see, uh, men saw female movies. Absolutely. Yes, there was a particular backlash about it. Whatever. But the numbers don't lie. Absolutely. People like women and and african americans and hopefully we can see a lot more and i think i think that the future of the casting of superheroes really can be kind of pointed to in a single scene to what Shazam did with DC towards the end of Shazam five to six maybe even seven characters came out and when you looked at the superhero characters uh that assembled at the end of Shazam they were latino they were asian they were African-American, there were women, and they were young. Um, and that really, that snapshot of that diversity, when I looked at it, I went, this doesn't look weird at all. If anything, it feels exciting to see faces that I had stereotyped in different categories Absolute, uh, involuntarily absolutely. in a whole different light. And now... I can totally see Marvel or DC creating the first Asian American superhero. I can see the first Latin American superhero. I can see all that. Um, and I, I I think that's going to be the future of the new Avengers whenever we see it in 2025 or something. Well, I think it's it's already the, the future. I think the lineup, we, you know, we already kind of, you know, if you follow the comics, you already have some inklings of, of what, what, what the new Avengers lineup is going to be. When was the last time you, you read a comic, Mike? Because I don't follow comics anymore. Man. No, I don't follow comics anymore. Every now and then, I don't know what's going on in the comic universe anymore. Well, I, I read up on on it a bit, but I, I'll just say that I think uh, the future not only is it diversity, but it, it's 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 being able to, in some ways, tell 
the same story, you know, because if we get into like, oh, we, it's, everything's the same story, tell the same story, but from a different perspective. And that's what makes it interesting. If you saw the movie Little, I don't know if you saw the movie Little. Yeah, I did. All right. What makes that movie work? We've seen this done with the man, with the woman. But what really makes that movie work is the perspective. We've never seen it from that perspective. So it gives a whole new, it puts a fresh face on 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 a on a type of story that uh, can talk about certain things so now we can have a different conversation uh, uh, uh in a, in a format we understand and embrace there's certain kinds of movies that are always going to get made you know absolutely absolutely and, I, I actually do think that that we might be able to see an all-female version of the avengers absolutely uh, obviously endgame hinted at it uh there's a comic that came out in 2015 called Listen, a force yes DC's already also, doing it, you know, with with the, the they've got their the all female hero thing coming out. Yeah, and I don't see a problem with that. If anything, I think it's it's, it's going to be really cool to watch, and I would love to support that. Uh, moving on, um, I wanted to ask you about the future of Marvel and Disney as as a global entertainment juggernaut. They made a couple of mistakes with Star Wars, obviously with the Han Solo uh, movies and these sort of like spinoffs, Rogue. Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Well, they screw up Avengers moving forward, man. And what is Disney and Marvel's role in this? Is it because you nothing can last this positively forever? And at some point, DC has to take over. Uh, I disagree. Here's what I think. Here's what I th I think a couple things on that. I think first of all, D Disney is in a position to make mistakes. They can make a mistake, but they'll learn from their mistakes. They're smart enough to learn from their mistakes. And and sometimes... And you don't think Warner Media can learn from their mistakes? Well, I think it's taken them longer. It, like, how long <laughs> did it take them to get to Shazam after we had to sit through a whole bunch of stuff? But no. Right. Uh, I, I think that that uh, now that... And you mentioned Avatar. Oh, can, can uh, Avatar beat... Well, no matter whether Avatar beats it or not, it doesn't matter. It's still Disney. So, so the point being that, you know, if you look at the top 20 films that have made the most money, you know, 85% of them are Disney. And, and what, what, and, or Disney owned at this point. So if Disney owns Avatar and Disney owns, all, you know, everything in the Marvel Universe and Disney owns Star Wars and Disney owns like it, another 15 franchises. Here's what I think the future is. The future is interconnected universes because what, mm. what we've seen that Marvel has set the template for is an interconnected universe. Uh, 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 ultimately, if you if you allow it to and you and you're patient and you build it, if you build it, they will come. They will come, and they have. And I think that that's what it is. I mean, Aliens versus Predator was tip of the iceberg of an interconnected universe, but now that it's all owned by the same company. Look at the possibilities. Oh, everybody, every company's trying to find their own cinematic universe. I think Universal was trying to do that with The Mummy, yeah. Werewolf, yeah, Dracula, they, they Frankenstein. Tried. They, they tried. tried. It just doesn't necessarily work. They tried. But there is, so now we begin Phase 4. Uh, phase 4 begins in 2020 on May 1st. A lot of people are saying that the Avengers Endgame, I think the Russo brothers actually said this, that the Endgame, the Avengers Endgame, is not the final film of Phase 4, that it's Spider-Man Far From Home. Yes, it is. That is when we truly will see the end of the story. And then on May 1st, 2020, we begin with an untitled Marvel movie. Uh, there's been talk about, you know, Black Widow having her movie, but we'll talk about those spoilers in just a few seconds. But before we leave the future questions that are lingering after you see this film is a lot of people 
are now curious and going, well, Disney just bought out Fox, which means they just bought out the X-Men franchise and they bought out uh, the, what's the other one? The Fantastic Four franchise. So will we see X-Men and Fantastic Four be interweaved into the core fabric of the Marvel Universe? Well, I mean, let's put it this way. I think And will it work? I think it I think again. Cuz we're talking there's too many characters. That last battle scene, man, was mind-boggling. Yeah, but, I don't know if it can fit that much more. Well, you, again, it, it it had to build to that. You couldn't have come out with a movie like this in, in the first even the first Avengers couldn't have been this intense. You had to give people had to be invested to care in in all of those characters to to want to sit through three hours of of you know ups and downs and and peaks and valleys and and you know uh, to 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 get to last forty five minutes that's battle I mean you you really have to care and and that's what I think the Russo brothers did and that's what was actually smart on Marvel and Kevin Feige's part to get uh, people who are more about characters than effects to to make these movies. And that's really been the secret sauce. Got it. So you think X-Men and Fantastic Four will make it into 2020 and beyond for Phase 4? Well, I don't know that it will necessarily be X-Men. I think it might be any of the other mutants, the new mutants, the next gen. There's all these other... There's, it's, there's a huge universe of characters out there. Uh, and stuff that we grew up on that is iconic for us may not be as iconic for people who were collecting comics in the 90s. Right, and I think... It, the same way that Marvel built up B characters, yep. C characters to become A and B characters. Absolutely. I do think that you might be right. I think we might be looking at a new generation of Fantastic Four uh, members, a new generation of X-Men members, and then build them up in their own standalone sort of universes to then interconnect. But I think that those choices are going to be much more um, sort of filtered through the lens of women and minorities and inclusion uh where we can like look at scenes like in black panther in the opening scene where they were in the projects the kids were playing basketball and that kind of really told you about the lifestyle that is really never seen through a marvel screen and so i think we're going to be a lot more realistic like if i had to do my predictions i think marvel movies are going to be a little bit more grittier well, I think slightly grittier. That's that's interesting. Well, I, I think it's going to depend on the film and depend on the character. I think it's going to be more diverse and and maybe and by being more diverse, Mike, we have to tell the stories of diversity through the superhero lens. Like, you know, what, what, what the movie didn't tell. And I think this is really important. You know, Black Panther didn't come out of the projects. Black Panther didn't come out of poverty. Black Panther didn't come out of the struggles and the strife that regular folk go through in America. He was already a prince by the time he was born to a king that was isolated from the world. He had everything he wanted. So the black struggle was not really shown in Black Panther. It was shown in a different dimension. So it was Wakanda and then was Earth. Well, And that's how you saw it. So I happen to think that Marvel is going to get more diverse writers. Like Ryan Cooler is not going to be the only black film director. There's going to be, uh, hopefully, a diverse group of people 
with different worldviews on how a superhero can change the world. And I think we're going to be seeing those stories told in a much more grittier place. Like, it's not easy to grow up in a childhood and then all of a sudden find out you have superpowers. What if Spider-Man was black from the very get-go living in Queens? He'd be probably living in Jamaica, my man. And going through the struggles that everybody goes through in Jamaica. I mean, I went through struggles in Jackson Heights. Imagine if somebody came out of Jackson Heights to become a major superhero. I don't know if it would be the same Peter Parker story. Well, it definitely would be a different story, and I agree with you. I think I I, I would have to say I agree. I think they'll be grittier. I think they'll be a little more reality-based. Yes, Uh, more realistic. More realistic. And and I think also that that, that, you know, if you look at the characters that, you know, you ask what's Marvel going to do in Phase 4, you know, a character like Shang-Chi, a lot of people don't even know who Shang-Chi is, but that's an Asian character, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're having an Asian writer, an Asian director, uh, you know, they're doing the Eternals, and the Eternals are completely diverse. They've got, you know, know, the, the, the stuff that I think they might have done earlier on, like a Doctor Doom movie now is kind of maybe not going to happen. The, the, these are the future. I think if they are going to do a movie and we, we, you know, I don't know if the Black Widow was a fake out or they're really. Well, yeah, you know, actually, we should talk about that. But just before we do, I think the template for the future of Marvel films is going to be. Uh, much more closer to Eric Killmonger, Michael B. Jordan's character in Black Panther, where he did come out of uh, poverty and he did come out of the struggle. Uh, And he had a chip on his shoulder. He had anger in him. He had vengeance in his mind. Because you have the Black Prince and then you have this guy that basically came out of dirt to kind of become someone. And that was the anger that fueled him. And so... Anger actually ended up beating Black Panther the first go around in their first fight. So when you start kind of doing the backstory on characters like Eric Killmonger, I think either DC or Marvel should start using templates like this because they're much more relatable. They're much relatable to the news headlines. Uh, They're much more relatable to societal problems. They're much more relatable to uh, mass moviegoers. And so I think that that's a key secret there, man. That's interesting. I I, I would halfway agree with that. I, I would say that, you know, looking at the characters they want to do, some of these will, you know, like any good science fiction, it won't be so much based in reality, but it'll, it'll be a fantasy that's talking about reality. So I right. think there's going to be some of that too. I mean- What is this fake out you're talking about with Black Widow? Well, here's the thing. Black Widow dies. So how can they be making a Black Widow movie? Okay, now, so if the fake the scenarios. fake out, here's the fake out. The fake out would be they announce a Black Widow movie so nobody realizes going in, she's going to die. Interesting. So there's two theories uh, that I read about. The first theory is that you just killed Black Widow, but you have Scarlett Johansson ready to go for a Black Widow movie that has already been announced. How are you doing that? There's two ways to do that. A, a prequel. And the question is, is it Scarlett Johansson or is it a younger Scarlett Johansson lookalike, right? Secondly, you could do a film about people searching for Black Widow and going back in time and using the same quantum realm that Ant-Man has to find her. But then it becomes a movie about men finding a woman. So it's going to be really interesting to see what kind of story 
they're going to use because what you can't do is you don't kill Black Widow in Endgame and then all of a sudden she's alive in the current times and there's no explanation behind it and then we kind of just go with this. I think they have totally killed the character and the potential of Black Widow uh, in this franchise in particular and we do have to at some point talk about the tricky situation and, and the relationship that that Marvel has had with women. That last scene in Avengers Endgame when the Russo brothers and the screenwriters create a moment for women in the film, uh, there was a fear that that might come off as pandering. And I actually think it achieved that with a lot of moviegoers and a lot of critics. They've brought this up that that's a form of pandering, of just giving in to the fans for a cheap pop. And you're not really advancing the story because what are you doing with Black Widow then? Well, I, you know, I think no matter what you do, people are going to complain. People are going to, you know, say it's not enough. If you apologize, you didn't give them enough big enough apology. If you acknowledge, you didn't give them enough big enough acknowledgement. So I pay no attention to that at all, even a little bit. But I also will say that the fans, what do you mean uh, uh, pandering to the fans? What do you mean pandering to the fans? I mean, the fans are what make this. You do it for the fans. So that's well, what happens when you pander, Mike. You but, basically create something unoriginal and, uh, and know, uncreative. But it, that's not what happened. It was creative and it was original and we hadn't seen it in a Marvel movie. And, and like we've been talking about, I think it's a precursor to the future. I don't think that she's, she's, there's definitely, I mean, there's, what is it, what is it, the, the two, the the black character and the Latina character hero movie that's coming out, there, there's, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of female hero, superhero movies about to hit in the next oh, three the, years. Right, but, but we, we've seen them all. I mean, I mean, Catwoman with Michelle Pfeiffer. Forget uh, that. No, no, was one. I'm talking about uh, Halle Berry. We've seen Elektra. I mean, yes. So it's not like a new thing. It's just that it's never been really uh, championed. It's uh, never especially been done. in the it contextual time. It hasn't been done well. Let, let's let's call it. A it hasn't been thing. done well. Let's just call it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving exactly. on to the spoiler questions and the last part of our podcast for uh, this uh, special bonus episode of After the Endgame. Loki. After the Endgame. This was a question that I have been lingering, but because there's so many bigger uh, uh, sort of commentary on Endgame that it kind of went through the cracks, but I want to retrieve it from the cracks and, and, and make it a little bit more salient. If you remember, there was a moment in the scene where the Avengers Endgame version goes back in time to 2012's Avengers timeline. In that timeline, Loki is alive, and what ends up happening is in because the old Iron Man and the new Iron Man met, or, or, or met some Avengers, Loki ends up stealing the Tesseract and disappearing into a warp that who knows where he went, Asgard or, or some, sort of, some sort of new parallel dimension. But what was never answered is where did he go to and how did he just disappear and no one answered that question in the film? So is he alive? What's he doing with the Tesseract? Where did he go? And what does this mean? Well, A, he's definitely alive. B, he's going to be doing some stuff in the future with the Tesseract. C, these are the, the Easter eggs that they'll be talking about over the summer that have been laid and that we're also going to find a couple things that probably show up in Spider-Man that, ah, oh, the connect. You know, uh, again, I think everything being interconnected, one of the great things about watching uh, this Endgame 
was all the the payoff of having been loyal to the franchise when they go back in time and and all of that that it was always a big payoff it it, it was saying thank you for hanging in there i felt so mike continuing with uh, some of the spoilers that a lot of people are still asking about uh how did cap end up living and how did he end up getting old? I don't know if it was necessarily explained. And then he, at the end, we see an old Captain America handing over the baton to Anthony Mackie, which plays Hawk. And now he's the new Captain America. A lot of people thought Bucky was going to be the new Captain America. Well, that's kind of how it is in the comics and depending on, on which thread and which period in the comics you go with. So I think that's going to be an interesting thing. I think, again, they're smart enough to... to to throw us red herrings and to, to, <laughs> to, which I think is a good thing. I mean, if you look at the Avengers trailer, uh, you know, in the Avengers trailer, you see regular Thor. You don't see fat Thor. So you had no idea. And that was just a fake out. That was just to kind of get you to know Thor's in there, but it didn't give away anything. So I think. By the way, I, th- I thought Thor still stayed fat at the end. He did. I didn't. Yeah, he stayed he fat. Didn't fat. He? Come on, you're not gonna lose weight overnight. He's even, <laughs> even what the Norse god diet, you know. But uh, so uh, oh, I, I think that that's that's important. I think that that you know, uh, what's gonna happen with Captain America? I, I did think you know, if I had quibbles about the film, some of the time travel stuff, you're like, okay, well, wait a minute. If they went back and you know they're all alive in different timelines, I mean, okay. Uh, that means anybody who dies, you could just really technically go back, get them and say, hey, don't go left when you should have gone right or or bring somebody from the past into the future. So, I mean, if Black Widow's alive, OK, if they make a Black Widow movie, I think you're right. It'll either be a prequel and, and, and Scarlet's uh, aged out or they're going to find a way to show us that we didn't realize there was a little loophole when she went back. Blah, blah, blah. Kind of like Gamora. Look, Gamora came back through time travel, so I'm thinking they're going to apply something very similar with Black Widow. They could, yes. They could. Like, half of the movie, of the new Black Widow movie, would be searching for her, and then they find her, but instead of finding her at the very end and then her appearing in a second movie, it defeats the purpose because it's supposed to be about female empowerment and female films. Maybe you find her a quarter of the way into the film and the next 75% is just her. Well, you know, I like that finding Black Widow. I, I like that whole concept. I mean, you know, yeah, there, there's a number of things they could do to get her. I mean, I, I feel like it would be, I feel like she never had an origin film. So they're going to have to give her an origin film. And right. and I think that makes the most sense because, you know, all these people, all these actors got paid, like Robert Downey Jr. got paid $75 million for Infinity War. So I don't even know what he made for this new one. So that's that's in, insane amounts of money. Uh, so getting rid of these characters is also makes good economic sense for them as well. Uh, right. And right. so I, I think your notion about uh, a prequel, because essentially Black Widow is going to be Marvel's version of La Femme Nikita. That's what she's supposed to be. All right, Mike, thanks for coming on and talking a little Avengers Endgame. All right, thank you, sir. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. 
jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio, and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.